And it came to pass, when Samuel was old, that he made his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second, Abiah. They were judges in Beersheba. And his sons walked not in his ways, and turned aside after lucre, and took bribes, and perverted judgment. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together, and came to Samuel unto Ramah. And said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee. For they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them, according to all the works which they have done since the day I have brought them up out of Egypt, even unto this day, wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also unto thee. Now therefore hearken unto their voice, howbeit yet protest solemnly unto them, and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. Just out of curiosity, How many of you here are like me and you really just like to argue with people? (laughs) All right. I'm glad I'm not alone this morning because I really just like to argue with people. Uh, And it used to be like really bad. How many of you like even if you're wrong, you're going to argue this point at all costs? (laughs) Right? I'm, again, I'm glad I'm not alone on that one, uh, because sometimes I do. In fact, I think it's a tendency we all have, especially if we are convinced that we are right about stump- something, and we're standing for truth, and we're standing for honor, and we're standing for the values that we have, and, and we want other people to have these values too. So we get really, really good at arguing with one another, even though we see how much damage this does all around us, right? Sometimes it does some real damage in relationships and in, and in society, yet, we, yet we're sticking to our guns no matter, no matter what. No matter what. Now, in a former life, which was not too long ago for me, <laughs> thanks, thanks, In a former life, which was not too long ago for me, I I would tear people to shreds when I was arguing with them. And of course, I believe you know what I'm arguing for is is correct, and I think that I'm that I'm right in the things that I argue for. But somebody would oppose me and and argue with me, and so I would pay careful attention to their argument, not for the purpose of learning, but so that I could deconstruct their argument, make them look like a complete idiot, and then win an argument. Now, when I would win an argument, let me tell you how much was accomplished. Nothing. Right? Nothing. The person who lost, usually the other person, 
sometimes me. The person who lost went away angry, right? That's what that accomplished. And the person who won goes away depressed because nothing actually happened. We weren't able to convince anybody of, of anything because people are so convinced of their own opinion and, and what they want in the right way they think things ought to be done, right? And so one person is angry and one person is mad. Now I've grown up a little bit, a little bit, a little bit since, since those days. Katie remembers those days. And I ask her, am I as bad as I used to be? She goes, no. <laughs> Good, thank you. Right? But now, I, I really try. I, I listen with the intent to understand. Other people, they'll try and argue with me, and, and I'll say, look, I'm really not interested in arguing. I'm really not interested in winning an argument. Can we just talk and, and try and understand more together? And people still get angry. <laughs> and I don't understand it. Uh, so, I don't know. Um, the world is a madhouse. That's, the world is just a madhouse, and people are always arguing, and even when people genuinely try and understand, people still think that, that they're arguing. In today's passage of Scripture, Samuel has done things a certain way for so long. He gets in the groove of doing things this way, he hears from the Lord. He speaks to the people. He's serving as judge over Israel according to the law. He's now promoting his sons to be judges over Israel. And then, and then for whatever reason, there's about to be this major shift in the way that things are done, right? The time of the judges is coming to an end. Samuel is the last judge, the final judge. And the time of the kings is beginning. The whole regime is changing. And so as we look to this text of Scripture today, I, I just want to ask this question as we examine our own lives, as we think about the text, as it speaks to us and applies to our lives, I, I want to think about things this way. How resistant are we to change, first of all, even if that change is godly? And are we prone to just arguing with people no matter the cost? We're going to look at today's text in three sections. First of all, we'll look at verses 1 through 3, and, and we're just going to see the sin of Samuel's sons. We'll look at verses 4 through 6, and we'll see that the people of Israel request a king. And then we will see verses 7 through 9, and we'll see what it means to reject God as, as king. But first of all, verses 1 through 3, Samuel's sons. Let me read this again for us. And it came about when Samuel was old that he appointed his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of the firstborn was Joel and the name of his second was Abijah. They were judging in Beersheba. His sons, however, did not walk in his ways but turned aside after dishonest gain and took bribes and perverted justice. Took bribes and perverted justice. Now before the time of the judges, it's about 20 years before the time of the judges starts, uh, about uh, 100 and, 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 and some change, 100 years and some change before this story here in the text. When, when Moses 
writes down the law in Deuteronomy. He receives it from God, and, and the book of Deuteronomy is written by Moses, and then the end of Deuteronomy is written by somebody else because it records Moses' death, and it would be really difficult for Moses to record his own death. So Deuteronomy is written about 20 years before the time of the judges and 100 years and some change before, before this particular story. And in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, Moses actually describes the time of the judges and the time of the kings. And, and he describes the role that God has in place for the judges. And I just want to read this. So before we get to the book of Judges, before we get to the book of 1 Samuel, Moses is already describing these things. We look at Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 18 through 20. And here is what God's instruction was when there were judges in the land. You shall appoint for yourself judges and officers in all your towns, which the Lord your God is giving you according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. You shall not distort justice. You shall not be partial. You shall not take a bribe. For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and perverts the words of the righteous. Justice and only justice you shall pursue, that you may live and possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Now Samuel's sons, Joel and uh, Abijah, something to that effect. Not only are they like really terrible human beings for taking bribes and, and perverting justice, but they're directly disobeying God's instruction to the judges. And Moses wrote this down 20 years before the time of the judges, like God knows exactly what's going to happen in God's story, Right? And so the judges, they had these rules to follow. Do not pervert justice. Do not take bribes. Yet these are the very things that Samuel's sons are doing. They are sinning in almost the same way that Eli's sons sinned earlier in 1 Samuel. And so we, we see that these judges pr promoted according to the law Samuel, as he promotes his sons to be judges, he's following the law. Promote for yourself judges in different places to judge the people of Israel, to, to exercise God's justice in the land, to deliver the people of Israel. And we saw this with Samuel. But he promotes his sons, and his sons do the very thing that God's law in Deuteronomy instructs the judges not to do, not to behave in this way, and not to take bribes, not to be greedy, not to be lovers of money, not to pervert justice in order to gain for yourself. Just because somebody pays you doesn't mean they get off the hook. And Moses spelled this out a hundred years and some change before Eli's sons are, are sinning here in our passage for today. Through, through the book of Judges, and in the first part of 1 Samuel, we see this pattern with the Israelites. If you know anything about the book of Judges, then you know this pattern. It's Israel would sin against God. They would begin committing idolatry. God would hand them over to this idolatry, would hand them over to their sin. 
God's people would be defeated. And we've seen that in 1 Samuel. God defeated his own people before the Philistines not once but twice in the previous passages. God's people would come to genuine repentance and then God would raise up a judge for himself to deliver the people to exercise the justice of God. Particularly against the nation that was oppressing Israel, his chosen people. Now in these instructions in Deuteronomy, we see this in verse 18. The instruction was that you shall appoint for yourself judges and officers in all your towns. And the people of Israel constantly failed to do this, right? This is why God had to appoint judges. Because the people failed the instruction of God. They fell short of the glory of God. And they did this over and over and over and over again because because they wanted to worship other gods, the other gods in the, in the land. And so God would raise up judges. And then as we read through the book of Judges in the first part of, of Samuel, almost every single judge got caught up in some sort of sin. And so even these judges fell short of the glory of God. They were insufficient to accomplish the things of God because of their own nature, because of their desires. And so they sinned and God would hand them over to sin as well. And if you remember the story of Samson, then you remember this. Samson was one of the vilest creatures on earth. Too addicted to women. Women got him in trouble. God now in our text for today is the time of the judges is coming to an end and a king is about to be promoted. According to the text for today, and I want to look at this chapter chapter 8. Here in verse 3, the scripture identifies Samuel, Samuel's sons in this way. They did not walk in Samuel's ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. Perverted justice. Later in the passage, Samuel's sons will be identified as because they are perverting justice and taking bribes. They actually also pervert the words of the righteous. And so there are a couple ways that we identify false teachers or those who, those who do not teach what is biblical in our own day, right? As Samuel's sons being this way, taking bribes, perverting justice, doing things for self-gain, uh, we can look at someone who is preaching or teaching in our own day. And if there is, if there is any bend toward self-gain or if, or if, I am going to preach something because I know this is what people will like or if I am going to do things in a a certain way because I know this is what people will like and I know this is what will draw people and I become selfish in that way trying to gain a following for myself or trying to bolster the numbers of a particular local church or anything like like that, right? Tickle people's ears so they come. Entertain people so that they come and, and fill a seat in this way. This is, this is stuff that is selfish. This is self-gain kind of stuff. This is very similar to taking a bribe, and it, and it most definitely is perverting the justice of God. 
living out parts of God's message and teaching that God is not sufficient to do his own work and teaching that God's word is, is not sufficient to accomplish exactly what it puts forth to accomplish in our lives and in our hearts. And this is what Samuel's sons were doing. This is what Eli's sons were doing just a, a few passages before this one, a few chapters before this one. And so Samuel's sons, according to the law of God in Deuteronomy, were wicked men breaking God's law. And this is why in verses 4 through 6, we see the elders of Israel coming before Samuel and, and requesting a king saying, Samuel, your judges, they're taking bribes and perverting justice. We need something different because this isn't right according to God's law. In fact, let's read verses 4 through 6 together. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, Behold, you have grown old. That's not the reason they're asking for a king. They're just point, you have grown old. You're not going to be able to do this forever, Samuel. Behold, you have grown old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. They have sinned. They have sinned according to Deuteronomy chapter 16. Now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. Now, this verse is often plucked out of its context and it is taught in this way, right? This was dishonoring that people would ask for a king, but not, not that they would just ask for a king, but they would ask for a king like the other nations. And, and maybe you've heard in some other sermon or some other teaching time or seen in a Bible study somewhere that this was sinful and this did not honor God and that the people were evil for asking something like this for a king like the nation, that something like this dishonors God and pleases God. We, we run into a little bit of trouble when we, when we preach or teach something like that. First of all, after this passage and the story following, it is God who appoints Saul and then God who appoints David. And we have to ask, why would God ever do something that was against his will or that did not honor, honor him? And so we run into a problem there. We run into another problem. Remember Deuteronomy chapter 16 where the judges received, received this instruction for their service. Well, in Deuteronomy chapters 16 and 17, God is already a hundred years and some change before this is taking place. He's, he's already prescribing this change. He's already declaring that this change will take place and He's already telling the people what they should do. And so the judges will fail. And we get to Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 and 15. When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, and you possess it and live in it, and you say, I will set a king over me like all the nations who are around me. Does this sound familiar? Like God is predicting more than a hundred years prior exactly what's going to take place. And you say... I will set a king over me like all the nations who are around me. You shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. 
one from among your countrymen. You shall set as king over yourselves. You may not put a foreigner over yourselves who is not your countryman. And so there we see that God declares beforehand what is going to take place here in our passage for today. Like, I don't know, God already knows his story, right? Like God has been working all of this together. And God says, you shall do this thing. You shall put a king over yourselves like the other nations. And we see this exact wording in Deuteronomy. And so if we hear that it's this particular thing that was not honoring to God, or this particular thing that was, that was sinful, then we have to answer why God would tell people as early as Deuteronomy, more than a hundred years prior to this story, to do this thing if it's not something that would honor him and why afterwards God himself would appoint a king over Israel like Saul or later like like David this promotion of a king this appointing of a king over Israel this has been God's plan all along and he revealed that to Moses before the time of the judges and way before the time of the Kings, way before the time of the kings. We read verse 6, but the thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel. And, and whose sight was this thing displeasing to? God? No, Samuel. This thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. What was Samuel's first response here? Well, displeasure, but after that, it was not, oh, I'm going to argue these people into submission. (laughs) I don't know anyone like that in my life. (laughs) No, it was, I am going to pray, pray to the Lord. I am going to pray to the Lord. And so we see that even in our lives, this is, this is the application point, right? The point of self-inspection, introspection, when we examine our own hearts and our, and our own minds. There are many things that we are convinced are right and good. Theologically, things that are absolutely correct, things that we can't possibly be wrong on. Right? People of every theological persuasion in every church, or this, I'm not wrong on this. And I will argue with you, and I will stand on this truth. Right? We think we're right, correct, in the way that we do things. This thing has to be a certain way. This thing has to be a certain way. We have to do this thing throughout our lives a certain way, and we think we're correct on this. And if anybody does something differently, or does, does something in a different way than we think it ought to be done, Oh my gosh, you are doing this the wrong way. Let me show you the the right way to do it, right? I have a feeling in our lives, there are many things we are so convinced of. Like Samuel, who was a godly man, a prophet chosen by God, 
a priest placed by God in this position who did do all the will of God according to the text of Scripture. Yet here he is displeased by something that the elders are getting right out of Deuteronomy. Right? And Samuel is displeased with this. How often are we displeased with things? It could be any category of things, right? How often are we displeased with things even though they may be things that are correct according to God's law and according to God's rule and according to Christ's gospel? According to Christ's gospel. How many times? I mean, we don't know. Because <laughs> we're so convinced of the things we know and we don't know what we don't know until we, until we know it, until we become convinced of it, right? And sometimes it takes some pretty, some pretty heavy stuff being laid on us like, oh, okay, now I have to submit. And that's me, right? I don't learn anything until I have to submit to it. <laughs> because I really like what I think I know. <laughs> I, like to stay right, I like to stay right there. And I don't want to move. Right. I wish that my response was more like Samuel's here and that upon hearing something, prayer, God, if I'm wrong, please show me. God, what is the correct way to do this thing? God, what is the correct thing to, to believe? Verses 7 through 9, and this is where we will spend most of, our, most of our time this morning. What does it mean to reject? Reject God as king. The Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in regard that all in regard to all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Like all the deeds which they have done since the day that I brought them up from Egypt, even to this day, and that day, uh, and that they have forsaken me and served other gods. So they are doing to you also. Now I want to take this step by step. I want us to just marinate in this couple of verses. Because if we misunderstand these couple of verses and, and their intricacies, I mean, we're going to see how easy it is to misinterpret this verse to get this verse, to get this verse wrong. And so I... I just want to take this really slowly together. And the Lord said to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people. There we learn that the elders are actually speaking on behalf of all the people of Israel. The elders aren't just under cover of darkness coming to Samuel. No, it's they're representing the people. Listen to the voice of the people in regard that all in regard to all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you. Samuel feels rejected? Of course he does. This is, his, this is his life's work. This is his life's ministry. This is the one thing he has been doing for, for most of his life. Right? 
And then all of the sudden, the elders of Israel are coming on behalf of the people to Samuel and saying, Samuel, we think things need to be different. Dedicated my whole life to this thing, to this work. I sympathize with Samuel. Right? And if anybody has ever worked, how many, how many of us have worked really, really hard at something? I mean, either felt like nothing came of it, or somebody came along after us and just undid all of our hard work and changed everything around because things needed to be different. Well, we sympathize with this, right? I have been, I have been rejected more times than I can count from by people all over the world. But I, I think maybe I kind of know what Samuel might be feeling here. And if you've been rejected for whatever reason, maybe you know what Samuel's feeling here too. So God offers Samuel this word of comfort that people have not rejected you. Samuel, this isn't about you. People haven't rejected you. But they have rejected me from being king over them. Now we read this, and it sure does look like it is this elders coming before Samuel and asking for a king like the other nations that is the sign of their rejecting God or is the thing that caused them to reject God as their king. But this would contradict what we read in Deuteronomy and this would contradict what God does later in the, in the passage. Let's read on because God explains exactly what he means. Like all the deeds which they have done since the day that I brought them from Egypt even to this day, in that they have forsaken me and served other gods. And so this rejection of God as king wasn't in their asking for a king. They're actually doing this according to the book of Deuteronomy, according to what God has already prescribed in the book of Deuteronomy, what God has already predicted will happen according to this prophecy we read in the book of Deuteronomy that came through Moses. Instead, what God identifies as the rejection of him as, as, as king is idolatry. The serving of other gods. And then he says, so they are doing to you also. And so this rejection of Samuel, or this people, the elders of Israel, coming to Samuel and saying, Samuel, this isn't working. We need to go in a different direction here. Look at the book of Deuteronomy and see what instruction God has given. God says, when you choose a king, or when you decide it's time to have a king like the other nations, I will appoint one for you. Samuel, we think it's time for this. And of course, Samuel's distraught, but then God in his comforting Samuel, encouraging Samuel, says, Samuel, it's not about you. The people have been rejecting me for a long time. Since they came out of Egypt. Since they were worshiping false gods and committing adultery. It is idolatry, which is the, the rejection of God as king. And Samuel what they are doing to you also now, this, this is a physical 
picture, a pictorial prophecy or, or a living parable of what they have already done to, to me. They have already rejected me. And I have provided in my book, the Bible, as early as the book of Deuteronomy, this picture of what the people have done to me, what humanity does to me, a rejection of me and a turning to idolatry, any, any number of forms, right? And now they're rejecting you as judge. They're rejecting the work of the judges. They're asking for a king. This rejection that you're experiencing, Samuel, this is a picture that I have provided so that people might see what they have been doing to me for a long time. We don't often notice idolatry, do we? I mean, we, it's not so obvious as, oh, I'm going to go over here and worship this golden statue, especially here in America, right? But then God provides this picture, this living parable of rejection. So first of all, we have encouragement here. How many of us have experienced rejection? Everyone, right? When we've experienced rejection from family members, friends, from the world, from people who want nothing to do with us, to bullies in school or bosses at work, or any number of ways, we have experienced rejection. We work hard on a project and it doesn't succeed, right? Rejection. And we feel this rejection. We sympathize with Samuel here. And then we read these words and apply it to our own lives. It's like God is saying, this rejection that you are feeling, this rejection that you experience, it is provided for a reason to accomplish a purpose. And it is so you might know what humanity, by his nature, according to his own desire, has done to me in idolatry and worshiping things that he worships. This is what humanity has done to God. Then all of a sudden we arrive at this like bombshell of, of theology, right? This theological truth. All people everywhere have rejected God. It is our nature to glorify self. It is our nature to choose what accords with our own desires. Right? It is our nature to choose any number of kings for ourselves. Not a physical king. But these kings can, can include things like, on, a, on the level of society, things like social justice. Things like political persuasion. These kings can include things like personal theologies. And these kings can include things like property, building, style of music and worship, a style that a preacher has when he presents God's word. Some people really like when uh, some guy stands behind the pulpit and yells at them. I, I never liked that. <laughs> These are the things we, we choose to make kings of our lives, aren't they? 
more personal level, money, success, power, and ministry, numbers, <coughs> advancing of property and influence. These things become kings, become gods for so many people, right? And here the Bible essentially warns us against this success syndrome which usually ends up biting us in the rear. They have forsaken me and served other gods. So they are doing to you also. And the whole Old Testament tells this story, right? God creates people. God gives a law. People break God's law because they fall short of God's glory. They're not righteous like God is righteous. They're not holy like God is, is holy. All people break God's law and fall short of God's glory. And God comes, covers the shame of people, ultimately in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ, brings His people to repentance, restores them to victory in Christ. That's, that's the story of the Old Testament. That's the Gospel, right? If you are in Christ, you have victory over sin and you are free from your unrighteousness. Amen, hallelujah, praise Jesus. Freedom. This is the way that the New Testament writers in interpreted this passage of Scripture or the Old Testament as a whole. In his broad commentary on the Old Testament, the Apostle Paul, the book of Romans, is Paul's broad commentary on the Old Testament. Paul deals with this very subject, right? Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all. The word all is important. Against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. All unrighteousness and ungodliness of men. Who? Men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Throughout the book of Romans, Paul's whole argument is that people are unrighteous, Christ is righteous, flee your unrighteousness, abide in the righteousness of Christ. Verse 19, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, in His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Verse 21, For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, those argumentative people. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. We want to appoint a king for ourselves. We reject God as king. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them over, gave them over to their lusts, their desires, 
the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Why does God give people over to their lust and their own desires? So that they will be dishonored. And God is doing this on purpose, right? Verse 25, For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the Creator, uh, the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to, there it is again, gave them over to degrading passions for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also, the men abandoned the natural function of the women and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving their in their own persons the due penalty for their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer and gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. God gave them over to do those things which are not proper, which are not honoring to him. Sounds a lot like the sin cycle of Israel through the time of the judges, doesn't it? Verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, the law of God, the rules that God has put forth, even though they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. At the beginning of chapter 2, Paul will very humbly place himself in this group of people. And I look at this list that Paul has given to the Romans. I'm in there somewhere. And this list pretty much en encompasses every possible sin that there is and if we've sinned we're here and I, I think we have all sinned scripture says all have sinned so I think I believe that we've all sinned right and so we're all subject to the wrath of God which is being revealed from heaven it's just weigh on us Paul continues to make his argument and he continues to comment on the story of the Old Testament. And he gets to chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. Listen to this. this. This is amazing. This is the gospel message. The law came in so that the transgression would increase. It's by the law that God hands us over to our degrading passions. That's the reason he gives the law, so that we will disobey so that we will see where we fall short of His glory and we will realize that, that we can't just be righteous. It's meant to weigh on us. The law came so that the transgression would increase. But, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. God didn't hand us over without a plan, without the plan of grace. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death, 
Even so, grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the gospel. So many people take Romans chapter 1 and they just use it to point fingers at people. Oh, you fit into this category. You unclean person. Look, the Bible is good enough at pointing out our sin already. Right? And the whole point of the gospel is that we would recognize our sin. And these things really are sins, right? The things that Paul describes. And they are, they are meant to weigh on us. But then there's this grace that comes by the sin, by God's work, by the working together of all things, that, that those who have sinned and are in Christ have their sins atoned for. And all of those sins that Paul mentions at the beginning of Romans, they are included. That if you are guilty under God's law, but are in Christ, your sin has been placed upon Christ and it has been dealt with on the cross. Period. Grace. This is the story of the Old Testament. Throughout the law, God sets people up, right? In Deuteronomy chapter 31, God says, this law will be a testimony against you. And in chapter 32, He says, I will atone for all of your sin at the appropriate time. And as early as the book of Deuteronomy, even before we get here, so this king, the king that is coming, the king that God will appoint for Israel, has two purposes. First purpose is this, that God, and this is what First and Second Samuel are all about, right? That God would prepare his own throne within his creation. And he has chosen to do this through the nation of Israel, right? So... The book of Exodus is about and Genesis and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and 1 Samuel. But God has chosen to prepare His own throne in His creation. Why? Because people are, people are insufficient. People fall short of the glory of God. So the Messiah will come and He will, he will assume His throne. There's the same purpose for the, the prophets and the priests. That's why Jesus eternally is prophet, priest, king. He holds these positions forever. No one else can hold these positions. Christ alone. Right? The second purpose of the king was this. To stand as a testimony to the insufficiency of people to deliver the nation of Israel. The judges couldn't do it. So the time of the judges was all about to prove that people couldn't deliver people. It has to be God. So the king is now a picture of God's sovereignty and God's authority within God's creations. Now the human kings won't be able to do it either, right? It's why Jesus came. and It's why Jesus is a descendant of David. It's why Jesus comes and He sits on the throne forever. But this position of king is is a picture, a living parable of God's relationship to God's creation and especially God's people. Especially God's people. When it comes to rejection, 
we know this, that when people reject us, when people reject God's church, when people reject good pastors, which happens all the time, right? This is something that's being worked out by God according to His providence. And when we experience rejection, when we see so many people rejecting the church, when we see so many people rejecting pastors, we know this is just a picture of the way people are rejecting God. And the real problem is not that people would reject us or the visible church or pastor. The real issue is that people are rejecting God. That's the source of problem, misplaced worship. And it's the same for us as it is with the Israelites, right? Misplaced worship. Verse 9, God says to Samuel, Now then listen to their voice. However, you shall solemnly warn them and tell them of the procedure of the king who will reign over them. And this procedure is also found in Deuteronomy chapter 17. And this procedure is a procedure that God says, this is how the king should do things when it's time for a king. It says it as early as Deuteronomy. The people have this information. God knew it was coming. It's part of his story. But the interesting thing Samuel will do in the next passage, and we'll see it next week, is that he will tell people that the king will do the opposite of what God's law is. That's a teaser for next week. I'm not going to explain that now. So brothers and sisters, do you feel rejected? We find great encouragement in this text when we feel rejected. Are you resistant to change that may be godly change? Are we interested in understanding the things of God? Or are we simply interested in confirmation? Do you know Christ? Do you have a relationship with Christ? After all, He is the one who atones for our sin, who has atoned for the sin of His people. His work is fully effective. If you haven't, come to faith in Christ. It may be time this morning if He's calling you. But if you do know Christ, we've received great encouragement in this text. We have also received a great challenge. Let us not reject God as King by choosing any number of different things.